turn to the Word of God, and we are going to read um, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10 and finishing at verse 20. And uh, I have an, invited um, Deborah to come and to read God's Word for us this morning. Let's stand together um, as the Word of God is open for us. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of, of being recipients, Lord, of your word. Um, we are undeserving of that kindness, of that guidance, of the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our lives and um, giving us eyes to see, giving us the ability to, uh, to see this world, Lord, from a, a perspective that only comes because we are your children. And Lord, today as we open up this passage, may you give us great discernment and care so that we can grasp, Lord, what it is that you're saying through the Apostle Paul to not only the Ephesian church, but even to us. And Lord, that you would allow me as your messenger to simply be your mouthpiece, Lord, to be faithful, to reflect your truth to your people for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I think these past few weeks and months have been for, for all of us um, a little alarming with the things that we have been hearing on the news or maybe reading about on the internet. Um, we've, we've seen the, the conflict with Israel and Hamas battling it out there in uh, what we call the Holy Land and with Israel somewhat protected by its defensive Iron Dome and Hamas shielded behind innocent people. And my heart breaks for uh, the actual Palestinian people that are somewhat victims of the whole thing. I know much of America is, is really ranting and saying, you know, go Israel, go Israel, but there are people that if they turn against Hamas will be the victims of Hamas's uh, horror and that has been proven time and time again. And so it's really, really sad what is happening there. But of course then our minds also go to what's happening in Iraq and, and ISIS, um, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria as they continue to overrun the country of Iraq, and I know there's been some, some counter uh, movements there, but they have been systematically, and may I say, joyfully committing atrocities in the name of Allah, seeking to eradicate uh, from the earth the uh, Yazidi peoples, beheading of Christian children, 
um, raping of women, crucifying other Islamic men in the town square who are not loyal enough to their genocidal ideology. And if you're like me, you shiver at the evil that you're seeing. And you know, there, there are videos that are on the internet that you just don't even want to consider watching because you know where it's going to take you. and You don't want to see the, the atrocities that are there. And what used to be a black and white movie now is in color and is contemporary and is happening um, in the world. And it's hard for us to actually uh, embrace it and think that it's real. It is barbaric, it is inhumane, but be sure of this. It is not political. Um, at the root of this vile behavior is this spiritual ideal that is opposed to Christ. Now don't get me wrong, it's real. Um, it's carried out in the physical realm against people, but it is also spiritual in nature. There is something and a certain person that is willing to die for a cause and to cause so much atrocity in that pursuit that is not simply some political endeavor. There's something deeper going on and it certainly is not a Christ-like endeavor, it is an endeavor that comes from somewhere else. And so we're taken aback at the physical brutality of evil but we must also be mindful that all around us there is a spiritual battle that is raging. The truth of the matter is that when you become a Christian, you were drafted into the army of a Lord. There's no choice in that. That is just part of the reality of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And it is to that battle, that spiritual warfare, that Paul now turns as he brings this letter to a close. Now for some of you um, who are with us this, this day, we, we work our way through a book of the Bible, and we're working through the book of Ephesians. And so the reason we're turning to this particular text is not because of what happened this week, but because this happens to be next. And yet what what God is revealing to us in this letter is so relevant to the things that we have been hearing about, but it's also relevant to the world in which we live. There is a spiritual battle going on, and if you're a believer, you're a part of that battle. And he begins here by saying, finally. And this word finally, the idea is for the rest. And it shows us that this section is built upon what precedes. So Paul is basically saying this, based upon your glorious position in Christ, which we saw in chapters one through three, and in light of the worthy walk to which you have been called, and that was chapters four, five, and the first part of chapter six, he says, I want to draw things to a conclusion by explaining to you the serious conflict that you're in because of your unity with Christ. So there's a sense in which this book has been driving and driving and driving to the reality of this spiritual warfare that we are in. Now one of my favorite pastors from many years ago um, is a man by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, his, his section in his commentary series or his sermon series on this particular passage of scripture um, 
uh, includes 25 sermons. There is a Puritan by the name of William Gurnall um, who wrote almost 1,200 pages in double column small print on this passage. Um, as much as I love Lloyd-Jones and the Puritans, I want to promise you that I will be considerably briefer than that um, and limit my sermons to three. Uh, we're gonna take these 10 verses and unpack them somewhat as they kind of unfold uh, in the following way. We're gonna see these three arenas, the battle, um, the armor, and then the weapons. And today, then, as we rest on this text, um, I want us to see here that Paul is exhorting us to the nature of our spiritual battle. He's exhorting, initially, the Ephesian churches or the Ephesian church, but then as we think about how then it relates to us, he wants us to recognize the same reality, that there is a battle going on, and what does this battle actually look like? And friends, there's a lot of confusion about this whole dynamic of spiritual warfare. And we'll probably touch on it a little bit more next time, but let me just say this, I think we can be a little too interested in it, too consumed by it, um, or the opposite is that we can just think it really isn't that big of a deal and just kind of tune out to it. And we gotta be careful about that because clearly God in his word reveals spiritual realms and the warfare that takes place in those spiritual realms as realities, not as some symbolic mystical things, but as true activities and events that are taking place. And so what we find here is, is helpful counsel by Paul, purposeful counsel by Paul to help us as we see our world from a, a spiritual perspective, in particular, the battlefield of that spiritual world. And so he's taking us there. And of course, this battle involves the devil, it involves the Lord, and it involves us. And so let's begin by looking at what I'm calling the devil's schemes. We're gonna jump into the middle of our text for today. Um, and we're going to begin at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I think the first thing that we need to see coming out of this passage that Paul wants us to see is that we need to know our enemy. He identifies our enemy here as the devil. And of course, the devil is, 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 is Satan. We, we recognize him by a number of other names, but just staying in the book of Ephesians here, he's called the evil one, verse 16 of chapter six. Chapter two and verse two, he's called the prince of the power of the air, and he is the one under whose authority we once lived before Christ redeemed us. Um, in chapter four, verse 27, again, he's called the devil, and he's looking for an opportunity to undermine the church's uh, relationships there. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, he's called a roaring lion who is looking for someone to devour. And he's given other titles in scripture also. He's Satan, he's the serpent, he's Beelzebub, the ruler of this world, the accuser, the slanderer. So friends, I just, just wanna just give you the impact of the fact that scripture is speaking to the reality of the spiritual realm in many places. And of course, the story of Satan uh, goes somewhat along these lines. 
He was one of God's beautiful angels, so full of pride, however, he was unwilling to submit to the authority of heaven. And as a result, he was cast out by God when he rebelled along with a multitude of angelic followers. Now, uh, by God's design, he is functioning as the prince of the power of the air, which is the realm of the earth, and is seeking with all his power to undermine God's redemptive plan so that he can sit on God's throne and rule in his place. But, if you want to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 20 and verse 10, we will, we will see what God says is his end. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, this is how God will deal with Satan. It has already been determined. It will take place. Revelation 20, verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. But even though the devil knows his end, he is doing all he can to undermine God's authority and he is attempting to thwart God's plans. And to do that, he oversees a hierarchy of angels that are committed to that same task. And we, we have them listed for us here in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now we must be very careful to not say more than what those statements are saying or to come up with some ideology that, that forces them into certain categories. I think it's good for us to recognize that what's being talked about here is simply a, a collection of spiritual forces, but there, there is some, some reality here that's worth looking at. Look, if you would, please, just concerning the rulers and authorities, chapter one of Ephesians and verse 21. Chapter one and verse 21. It says, far above all rule, this is Jesus Christ who's seated um, in the heavenly places and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule, authority and power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And so this rule and authority is under Christ. Christ is over them. Also, if you would turn to chapter three and verse 10, I want you to see that. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now the heavenly places are not heaven and it's not necessarily hell, but it is the realm in which God has allowed us to live our lives for his glory. We are seated in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. This is our reality. This is the place where we find our security in him, and yet there's still this reality that Satan and his minions carry out their work in this realm together. The idea of cosmic powers likely is a reference to demonic powers behind false religions. And that's kind of how we began here this morning, just thinking through the fact that false religions have as their ideology not necessarily a, a, a unity with Christ as he is revealed in the word of God, but they have as the reality a remaking of a Christ that can be embraced or a Christ that they are going to completely seek to eradicate in the lives of people. So there's, there's this attitude that is there, and so this, this temple of Artemis or Diana that was in Ephesus was likely the cosmic power in that present, that, that actual location 
that was the means by which satanic influences were being dispensed among the people there, and in particular in the church. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what are the cosmic powers of our present darkness? What are the cosmic powers that we run into in our present situation? You might even think of it in these terms, the God of amusement, the God of entertainment, the God of pleasure, of comfort, the God of, of stuff or plenty, um, the God of, of me. And there are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, and likely that's simply a summary statement of all the forces of evil through whom the devil works his plan. And so friends, there's a real spiritual army where Satan is the ruler, the one in charge, carrying out his plans. We, we, we need to see that, but we also need to know his methods. And verse 11 tells us, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. How many of you have the old King James Version? You guys remember what it said in the King James? The wiles of the devil. Just has that kind of a ring to it, doesn't it? The wiles of the devil, right? Um, what are the schemes of the devil? They are the various strategies the devil uses to accomplish his purposes. So he uses clever deception to work his plan in the world, and in particular, in the lives of believers. One of the commentators that I was reading this week on this, Clyde, or Klein Snodgrass, says this, which I think is really helpful for us. Mention of schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery and subterfuge by which evil and temptation present themselves in our lives. Evil rarely looks evil until it is accomplished, until it is uh, until it accomplishes its goal, it gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is baited and a camouflaged trap. And friends, we need to see the reality of those schemes. And we've already seen some of Satan's strategies on display as Paul has brought them into this letter and he identifies them as opportunities, or some translations call it footholds, and we've seen anger being talked about, we've seen falsehood or lying, we've seen stealing and unwholesome talk, just being used by Paul as examples of ways in which we need to put off these things that are, are, are areas of, of sinfulness that are fed by, by Satan and things that we were entrapped by, and we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it should come as no surprise then in a practical way that evangelism in this world in which we live is going to be difficult. It should be no surprise to us that living as a church for God's glory is going to be difficult for us. It should come as no surprise that keeping the Bible as the foundation of the church is difficult and that it will always be under attack. We shouldn't be shocked then that living in a sex-crazed world is gonna be a challenge for us. Or that seeking to glorify God in our marriages, where there's pain and conflict, um, is gonna be somehow not a reality. That parenting and submitting to authority is gonna be difficult, or we shouldn't be shocked that fleshing out of our union with Christ in the context of our vocation is gonna be a difficult endeavor for us. Why? not simply looking at it from human terms, but looking at it from the perspective of spiritual warfare, it's clear he is at work. And he wants to do everything he can to undermine God's purposes 
through his people. So in all the things that Paul is calling us to do, as we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, Satan is doing all he can to get in the way and destroy our efforts. So we must be aware of his methods. And we must also grasp the conflict. And that means we need to see it as a reality. And what does he say here? It says we wrestle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against all these spiritual realities of, of evil. And this word wrestle helps us understand the nature of this conflict, okay? It's not the kind of battle that's fought from a distance. There's a sense in which what's going on in Israel right now is like, okay, we're gonna fire one of our rockets, you know. There it goes, I wonder where it's gonna land, you know, and then they're gonna fire one back, and of course, Israel has the dome. This is not, this is not conflict from a distance. This literally means face-to-face agonizing. Someone who is wrestling. I mean, you can, you can smell the breath of your foe. That's the reality of what he is saying here. The devil is in your face and he's fighting against God and all those who claim to follow him. So this conflict, and hear this, is first of all personal. It is personal. It is very personal. This is not just a general conflict against the church, although there is a conflict going on against the church, but it is also a a personal attack on you because you are a follower of Christ, because you are united to Christ. So we need to understand the impact of that reality. Satan is going about like a roaring lion, which is an incredible picture looking to devour you and looking to devour your relationship with Christ. In other words, he wants to turn your life upside down. He wants you to shake your fist at God. He wants to say, God, your way doesn't work. I need to find a better way. And he uses all sorts of deception to get us to the place where we stop thinking about God, we stop trusting God, we stop, stop even thinking about what his word says and, and stop allowing ourselves to be counseled by him and, and leaning on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and taking things instead um, in our own strength. He loves it when we do that. And it is personal. But it is also purposeful. Satan is not omniscient. He does not have all knowledge. Satan cannot read your mind. But he's been around for a long time. (laughs) And he knows human nature. He knows how people act. He knows how people think. He knows how people behave. And that means that he is careful and clever to put in your path some kind of obstacle, some kind of influence that he thinks is going to trip you up, and he's really good at it. So when you're on the computer and that pop-up hits you and you're like, whoa, guess what? That wasn't just some glitch. Somewhere behind that, he is at work because he is trying to trip you up. When that person somehow responds to you in a negative way that you don't even know, and somehow it stirs up in you these, these attitudes of anger, Certainly they're responsible, but behind all that is Satan working his plan, trying to trip you up so that you will not honor 
your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you will, you will run away from what he has called you to. And friends, not only is it personal and purposeful, it is also spiritual. This is not a battle against flesh and blood, but it is waged, waged in, the, in the spiritual realm. We must strip away, and hear this, we must strip away the notion that we in ourselves are equipped to do battle with Satan or his servants. You do not want to go into battle with Satan by yourself. That would be disaster. And we would be faith, fatally unprotected if we were left to ourselves. And the bottom line that, that Paul wants us to see is that everything that seeks to undermine the church and ultimately um, all of that comes from the devil. He, Satan, does not want us to be what we have been made in Christ. And so our battle is fought in the heavenly realms, even though the battle's effect is firmly rooted in our earthly experience. So when you get angry, or when you're fearful, you may feel it. There may be physical things going on, but, but understand this. There is a spiritual battle that is raging in your heart at that moment. And Paul is speaking to that here. And he wants you to understand the enemy. He wants you to understand his schemes. And he wants you to recognize that there is a real conflict going on. And he is cunning and clever, subtle and powerful. And get this, he hates Christ. He hates him. And he hates followers of Christ. And he hates the bride of Christ. And that's why Martin Luther, in the song that we sang earlier, Mighty Fortress is Our God, I think it stands in number two, he says this, for still, still, our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. He's still doing it. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. I mean, that's just, it's daunting. So what are we to do? Should we panic? No. Should we be afraid? It's kind of a yes or no. Are we to fight? Yes. Can we fight? Yes, we can. And that's what we want to move into next. We've seen the devil and his schemes, but now I want us to notice the Lord's strength, the Lord's strength. Paul gives his readers two pieces of instruction here on how to fight in the battle. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So these two commands, be strong in the Lord, and put on the whole armor of God. Let's take the first one here. Let's flesh it out. And then we'll see the next one. Be strong in the Lord. This is a, a passive command. What does that mean? He's not saying you go do it by yourself. You go and be strong in the Lord. That's not the idea of what's going on here. To be strong in the Lord in a passive sense means be made strong or be strengthened. 
Look at chapter three, verse 16. I want you to see it as he uses it in another place in, in Ephesians. He says that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this is not a strength that comes from within, as if more and more prayer and more and more fasting and, and more and more Bible study or meditation or whatever it might be that you throw in there is what it gets me to this place of being strong in the Lord. No, 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 no. Strength in the Lord isn't something that you conjure up. Strength in the Lord is what comes directly from him. It's strength from the Lord. It is strength that finds its source in the Lord. It is a, an external source of strength. And of course, that is the Lord himself who gives us that strength. And so the strength is only found in us because we are in Christ. To say it a little differently, Christ is the only one who supplies all we need for our spiritual warfare. We who have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that's chapter one, verse three, can find our strength for the battle through our union with Christ. We who are dead in our sin are now alive in him. We are being strengthened by the Lord day by day. So this call to be strong in the middle of battle is not a new concept in the word of God at all. Joshua chapter one and verse six and seven and nine, we find Joshua's urged by God, be strong and what? Be of good courage. David, in a time of great difficulty, when people were, were talking of stoning him, found strength in the Lord. The people of Israel who were returning from exile in Babylon are told by God through Zechariah the prophet, I will make you strong in the Lord. They weren't the ones that were saying, oh, we're gonna be strong. No, they were saying, Lord, we want you to be the source of our strength. And there's a huge difference. So to be strong in the Lord is further described when Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Turn back to chapter one and verse 19 and 20. Paul says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The might of God is evidenced by the power of the resurrection and the power of Jesus' exaltation. Now look also, if you would please, at chapter three and verse 16. And notice what Paul says there again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Jump down to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him into the heavens is the same power and might that is at work in us. So when we're, when we're told here to be strengthened in the Lord, in the strength of his might, he's saying, listen, you have available 
because you are united in Christ with the same might, the same power, that simply needs to be appropriated into your life now. You are in Christ. These spiritual blessings and resources are yours because of that union. And any and every power for battle comes from the strength that only God can give us through Christ. Remember, remember what Darrell was saying earlier, you know, the prosperity preachers, you know, you can if you just believe this stuff, you can do this. You all this kind of stuff betrays the wonderful beauty of what it means to be in Christ. Because Christ never promised that life would be without troubles, did he? But he promised that in all of those troubles, that he would be present, that there would be purpose, that the, the plan of redemption, and that the plan of, of God through the ages would continue, sometimes through suffering, sometimes through eras of comfort, and sometimes through great um, revival going on in the land, And we need a a sense that says, you know what? The strength of the Lord is present because of our union with Christ. It is always there. So in every situation and in all situations, we can lean on the strength of the Lord because of our union with Christ. Now let's think about this armor that he is calling us now to put on. He's commanding us to do these things. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The way that we are made strong in the Lord is by putting on the full armor of God. And it is only by donning this armor that we can be properly equipped against the devil's attacks. Now, um, growing up in Sunday school, on the flannel board or in the little, little books that you have, the image that you see is the armor of a Roman soldier. And so we, we've kind of betrayed, you might want to say, the connection to the Old Testament that this passage, I believe, is drawing attention to. And it's important here to understand that the battle imagery um, that we have here does draw on this Old Testament picture of the Lord, who ultimately we know is Jesus, as a warrior king who goes out to battle to fight for his people. Now there's a sense in the book of Ephesians and other places, Colossians, I shouldn't say a sense, he tells us that we are to be like Christ, that our goal is to be Christ-like, that we are to put on Christ. But this imagery then comes from this, this, this wonderful picture in the book of Isaiah, And there's two sections that I I want us to see here. Isaiah chapter 11, verses four and five. If you want to turn there, let's read a couple of these descriptions together. Isaiah 11, verses four and five. We're told the following. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. There's this garment imagery, this battle imagery of this king. Then Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17 says this. Put on righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. 
Now see, these are, these are things that, that Paul is picking up on as he thinks through this imagery of this, this armor and this, this weaponry that he is going to use to help us understand how do we actually, how do we actually you know, stand in the context of this battleground. So this exhortation to put on the whole armor of God is synonymous with the exhortation in chapter four of the book of Ephesians and verse 24, where we're told this, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to be putting on Christ. And then also in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So there's this idea of putting on is something that we are responsible for. The strength comes from the Lord, but we have been given a responsibility in this warfare then to appropriate the armor for that battle. It's there to be worn. It is there to find security and safety in, but we must be willing and um, desiring and understanding of our need to actually appropriate it, to put it on for the battleground. So this armor is not God himself, but it is the armor that God supplies. And it's the armor that God supplies because what Christ has done for us on the cross. And it includes, coming from the next section that we're looking at, truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. And we are to depend on what he has done for us, not on what we can do ourselves. Now it's true that among mortal men, Satan has no equals. He is incredibly powerful as we saw, but in the heavenly places, he is eclipsed by the power and the might of Christ. Now we, we can watch a, a, a movie put out by Hollywood that portrays evil and all its goriness and all its power and it seems overwhelming. It seems mighty, but it pales into comparison to the power of Jesus Christ. Just You open your book to the book of Revelation you see how God exercises his power and even that power is being held back. It's directed at those who have offended him. So there's no dualism going on. There's not this idea of oh, there's evil and there's good and they're just kind of battling it out and one day, you know, one of those sides is gonna win. That's Hollywood. We know what the answer is. In fact, in the book of Exodus, we have a, a pretty good example of that. Exodus 7, where Moses and Aaron are told by God to go stand before Pharaoh and God tells Aaron to cast down your staff before Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. And to our surprise, as we're reading this passage, Pharaoh gets all his sorcerers together and they cast down their staffs and what happens? They become serpents too. We're like, wow, there's this spiritual power that's there. It's an evil power, but it's a spiritual power. But it goes on. Snakes all over the place. Who here likes snakes? I mean, I would have been hopping and jumping and I don't know what I would be doing, right? But snake or the staff that turned into a snake that Aaron threw down to the ground we're told in that passage gobbled up all those other snakes my friends we must 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 
be convinced about what we read in chapter one, that our salvation was predetermined before the creation of the world, and our redemption is the result of God's heart and purpose in us so that it is not thwarted by this, this meager power that pales in comparison to Christ and his purposes. So what you and I are going through may seem very daunting, may seem incredibly overwhelming. But the question is, have we diminished our perspective of the beauty and the power of Christ at work through all that is going on? Oh, Satan wants to deceive us and distort our view of Christ and even to be discouraged in our circumstances, but we need to draw ourselves back to this place where we see this union with him as secure, as safe. We are awaiting our inheritance. These are the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ that Paul begins this letter with. So we see the devil's um, schemes and we see the Lord's uh, strength and now it's important for us to see the believers stand because we are called now to do something. In verse 11, we see what I'm calling a general call to stand against Satan's strategies. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So this is a general call to stand. The idea of standing here is to, to stand in place and hold one's ground. You may have seen some shows, you know, some movies where the, the soldiers gather together and they, they lock their shields together and they, they just they hold their ground and there may be armies all running at them but the idea is that when the armies come they'll just bounce off that shield wall. And the idea then is to hold your ground. See, we're to be strong and stable and robust as we stand. We're not to be children tossed to and fro we're to be growing up to maturity in Christ. We're to be fitted together as a body, supplying every joint with what it needs, not just to do ministry, but also to fight the battle. We need each other in a corporate sense to fight that battle, but we were also called individually to be growing up to maturity in Christ. And so we don't stand in fear, but we stand in confidence and hope because we are secure in our union with Christ, and we know what the end ultimately is. Not only is there a general um, kind of idea here, there's also a more specific targeted call to stand in the evil day. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. This is referring both to the present time between the, the two comings of Jesus, but it's also referring to some particular times or, or, or periods of struggle that you and I may be going through. We're called to withstand, we're called to endure, we're called to face the enemy in battle, not run, not flee, but to stand with what we're told that we have. Then certainly if you're a child of God, there will be times of difficulty, there will be times of struggle, there'll be times of spiritual warfare that is intense. So this is what Paul is driving his people 
two as he's reading or as he's, as he's writing this letter. And ultimately, this is the aim. Paul is calling us to stand armored for battle against the evil one in the strength of the Lord. And to do that, there's some things that we must do. And we're gonna backtrack and just re- revisit these things quickly, but they're important for us to, to backtrack and now to build upon what's already been said. In order to stand armored for battle, against the evil one and the strength of the Lord, first of all, we must understand God's full provision. We must understand God's full provision. That is why chapters one through three of Ephesians is Paul laying down the foundation of what it means to be in Christ. He didn't just get up one day and say, you know, I just wanna put a theological treatise together and it might be helpful you know, if they pick it up just to know a little bit about Jesus and their walk. No, he knows that this battle is real. And he knows that his readers need this counsel and need to know the beauty and the security of their union with Christ, that they are provided with these spiritual blessings in Christ. They're chosen in him, they're predestined, they're adopted, they're awaiting their inheritance that although they were dead in their sins, that they were made alive in Christ and they were raised up with him, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And as Christians, we must be purposeful to grow in our understanding of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. And when we do that, we will be appropriating the armor of God, adding to our awareness of the things that God says are true about our union with Christ, that we can apply to all the different schemes of the devil as they come up. But if we're not convinced that the spiritual battle is real, we'll be lazy in how we approach God's word. But maturity in Christ comes from being doctrinally grounded in the truth of the scripture. And this is, again, what, what Daryl was saying earlier, that, that, that there's so much of the church that is a mile wide and an inch deep. And God is calling us as believers not to be a mile wide, but to be rooted, to dig deep, to work hard at, at grasping the truth of God's word, not, not to to simply fill our heads or to win an argument, but to live in the context of spiritual warfare and to recognize it for what it is. Not just a mistake you made, but there's a battle going on. And your battle with that particular sin can be dealt with by the resources and the provision that God has given you in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we must understand Satan's schemes. Now the word schemes is found in Ephesians alone, Ephesians 6, 11, and also chapter four, verse 14, but in 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse 11, Paul uses a synonym to, con- to really to convey the same idea. And it says this, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, his designs. If we are ignorant of his designs, he will outwit us. So friends, the opposite is true. We must know his designs 
so that he will not outwit us, or as other translations say, take advantage of us. There's a call here then for us to be aware of his designs. And where are we gonna go to find out what those designs are? (laughs) The word of God is full and rich of Satan at work through all different circumstances seeking to accomplish his purposes through deception, through manipulation, all sorts of different things. And we see his cunning, we see his deception, but you know, this also now is fleshed out in the world in which we live. Our contemporary culture is the avenue through which much of this stuff comes down. Just think of, of postmodernism and its, its effect on squelching the teaching of God and, and, and reducing things to this idea that there are no absolute truths, which of course in and of itself is an absolute truth that people just ignore. But people are convinced, hey, yeah, there's no absolute truths. There's an attack that comes through by seeking to undermine the credibility of scripture. And it's an attack, it happens in so many different ways, through television, of course, through newspaper articles, the latest bestseller books, which people just, if Oprah says it's good, you know, everyone just eats it up, right? And yet, it's so full of things that are contrary to what God says, and, and Christians get caught up in this. And then, of course, around Christmas and Easter, you have all these things that may be on TV and just seeking to undermine the credibility of Scripture. Satan lures us into sin by portraying sin as pleasurable and by hiding the gruesome consequences of sin. He wants us to see, oh, the wonderful time that people are having. He doesn't show us the next morning at six o'clock. He doesn't show us the whole picture, just the good bits, in quotes. And he uses pride and selfishness and discouragement, the love of money, lust and many other traps to lure us away from Christ. So we must be aware. We must be alert. And we grow in our understanding. We grow in our awareness. We grow in our ability to be alert when we spend more time sitting under the ministry of the word of God. There's an emphasis in in Ephesians about, about the word of God being the means by which these things are fashioned and shaped in the lives of God's people because he prays for their, their eyes to be opened and the Holy Spirit's ministry of, of, of allowing them to see God's truth being a reality. So we must take the priority of the word of God filling us and moving us and, and, and guiding us as we place ourselves in front of it and under it. And then the, the third area is this. In order to, to, to stand, we also must be willing to apply biblical practice. In other words, we must be faithful to put into practice what we believe. I'm gonna read from Hebrews chapter five, verse 14. It says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It takes time, it takes training, it takes application, it takes testing to understand and to see whether what is what I'm being told should be a piece of armor is actually effective and is actually doing its job. 
Now, if we simply want to live in our comfort zones or our Christian bubble where we're not even thinking about the spiritual warfare, we're not even thinking about putting on the armor of God, we're not even thinking about what it means to actually apply that to our lives because we're just kind of floating along. So I want to encourage you. Go out and test your armor in real-life situations. I remember when I was younger, get myself a new pair of soccer cleats, of course, we call them boots, not cleats. Here in the States, they distort good things, you know. Um, and I remember when I got them, I had to go out and try them, right? You get something new, I'm going to test it out before I actually use it. And there's a sense in which I want you to be purposeful. The next time you are tempted, the next time you are confronted to, by Satan or, or some, by some mechanism to, to, to do uh, a sinful act or to respond in a sinful way. Be ready, be, be alert to say, I've got to put on the armor of God. And when you're tempted, think, what has God told me through Paul that is true about my position in Christ that I need to remember and to apply to my present struggle? So we've got to fight to put on the truth that God has revealed about who we are in Christ. Now I'm bringing things to a close here. I want to end this morning by reading from the diary of John Patton, missionary to the New Hebrides in the late 1800s. New Hebrides is now called Vanuatu. It's a chain of islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean about a thousand miles northeast of Australia. Now, as best we understand, the first two missionaries to the New Hebrides literally got off the boat, got on the land, and with five, within five minutes were beaten to death and were taken and eaten. So who's going to go back to the New Hebrides? And the famous statement about John Patton is he had such a passion when he heard that story that he wanted to go back there, although it was like 18 years later by the time he got there. But he was told, don't go. You will be eaten by cannibals. But he was willing to go and try. He was willing to say, you know what? There's something greater than me that is going on here. God is at work, and he is going to, he's going to be you know, at work, and, and, and these islands are going to be one for Jesus Christ. And so he, he goes on to the island Incredible story, incredible challenges, and he faced some insurmountable obstacles. Within five months, both his wife and baby had died. Sickness had gotten to them. And day after day, the natives, uh, led by witch doctors, would surround his meager dwelling place and would threaten his life. And day after day, he thought he would lose his life. It was a spiritual warfare played out in the arena of God's created earth. Well, here's what he says as he reflects on one of those encounters when he was surrounded by natives encouraging one another to take the first blow. He says, my heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club 
prevail, to strike us. Not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to throw. Not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ who is in all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate, inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. Now friends, our battle may not be against the savage natives of the South Seas, but it is a spiritual battle nonetheless. And the same endurance and encouragement is ours when we stand strong in the armor of the Lord in this, our evil day. Lord, help us. Help us. Help us. Not to be consumed by this spiritual warfare. Help us not to seek to fight it with our own strength. But Lord, help us to lean on the strength that comes from you alone. May we not be shaken in what we know to be true because Satan desires to deceive and to cause doubts. But Lord, may we find ourselves firmly planted in our union with you and get the picture of the fact that although we are living our lives out on this earth, that in Christ we are seated with him in the heavenly places. That we are simply awaiting our inheritance, but doing that because he has a purpose and a will for us now and living our lives for his glory as he carries out his plan. And Lord, we need your help to see the the beauty and the strength and the importance of the armor of God. And we ask, Lord, that over the next couple of weeks as as we delve in more to what that looks like and what it is and how we appropriate it, Lord, that you would give us uh, just eyes to see the, the beauty of the protection that we have because of you and the boldness that comes because of being fashioned by your armor and strengthened by you, our Lord, our mighty king, our mighty warrior. Oh, Lord, we need you. Our marriages need you, our families need you. Our relationships outside the church need you. Lord, we we need to see those things not just on a human level, but Lord, in a way that, that flows through what you've revealed in your word about who you are and what you've done and what you've called us to and the battle that still rages. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Help us, we ask in your precious holy name. Amen.